Welcome. Who's feeling warm? It's a bit warmer than uh, the 8.30 yeah, uh, church service. You've all braved the heat. Apart from those cheaters who are on live stream, welcome to you as well. We're a bit jealous of your, you in your living rooms with your air conditioning on. Um, my name's Simon Hermel. I'm an elder here. Um, and uh, I've been given the opportunity to share with you uh, a message today. Um, and uh, just, just so you know, um, I've actually, I knew what temperature was going to be and I knew the kids were in. So it is a, a shorter message. Um, for those that are going to be disappointed with that, I apologise, um, but it's going to be a hot, a, a hot day, and so um, we're going to get into this story straight away. Just because it's short doesn't mean that it's not powerful, um, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to, to share this story with you. As Jacob, Jacob, uh, Jason alluded to, um, we're going to be looking at the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, is Caleb bleezing here anywhere? No. Um, he wasn't in the morning service either, the, the early morning, so we'll, yeah, mark that against his name. Um, last year he spoke to me about this story um, and he said how much he loved this passage. And so ever since then, I keep coming back to it because there's something about it, isn't there? Wrestling with God. And as I thought and I prayed about what I was going to share um, today, um, God uh, put on my heart this passage. Wrestling with God. Just think about that for a minute. How would that happen? What could that look like? What would that look like? I don't know about you, but even though it's such an abstract idea, something in my spirit gets excited when I think about being able to wrestle with God, having an opportunity to wrestle with God, to, to have God in front of me and see who He is. There's something deeply vulnerable about stepping into a wrestling match, isn't there? There's a few big bodies at the front here, big units. Uh, oh, and Jordan, sorry, Jordan. <laughs> um, but... We all love, I don't know about you when I was younger, um, I loved a good wrestle. I'm a bit of an old dad now, so I, I don't wrestle as much as I'd like to. Um, but back in the day, um, when you went to step into, into a wrestle, when you saw your opponent, you asked that question, didn't you? Am I strong enough? Am I determined enough? So let me start with asking that question. Are you strong enough? How strong are you? Now, wrestling with anyone is vulnerable enough, right? So imagine what it would be like to wrestle with God. We can't really get our heads around it, can we? Why would God waste his time wrestling with Jacob? It just seems too unrealistic. Why would he bother coming down for just one man? Do you know what I picture when God comes down to wrestle with a man? I picture Aladdin um, where the big genie, the big red terrifying genie comes down and he just squishes Jacob. Or maybe he's a little bit more crafty, a little bit, bit more mystical 
and he comes down as Master Uguay uh, from Kung Fu Panda, and just with the, the pull of a, a little finger, of it, some sort of divine wushi finger hold, you know all about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jacob suddenly just turns to dust. We watch the same movies. <laughs> but that's not the image we get in this story at all, is it? Have a look at the heading in your Bible. It probably says, Jacob wrestled with God. But what we'll come to see in this story is actually God wrestles with Jacob. It might sound like the same thing, but it's so important for us to see that God comes to Jacob. Not in the form of some powerful, almighty being, but as a man. And in this interaction, he clearly reveals something of his nature to Jacob that changes Jacob forever. So much so, his name is changed to Israel, which makes this passage feel even more weighty and important for us to understand. So let's have a read of the passage. Genesis 32:22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. I really should have researched how to actually say that because I don't think that's how (laughs) it's because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you today knowing that you come to us, that you come to speak to us today. Despite our weakness, Despite our fear, you come to us. And so, Father, I pray that your word would go out today, that you would speak not to our heads, but to our hearts, that you would speak into those things uh, that we are fearful of, that we are insecure of. Speak into that question of always striving to be strong enough, Father. So we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So to get our heads around the story, we have to understand Jacob's story uh, so far. So much has come before, and it's hard to summarize it all, um, but what we need to see is Jacob 
wrestling is not new to Jacob. He's been wrestling for position since before he was even born. In Genesis 25, we're told that he, even in his mother's womb, he jostled for position with his twin brother. And when his mother, Rebecca went to God about that, God said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. One people will be stronger than the other. There's that word again, strong. So let me ask that question again. How strong are you? Are you strong enough? Do you have a rival? Who is someone you really struggle with? Maybe, it's your, maybe if you're honest enough, you might even say that you loathe them. Maybe a sibling, a work colleague, a friend, a friend of a friend, that person on Instagram that makes their life look perfect, that ignorant person on the chat forum, that angry player on your rival sports team, maybe even another Christian. I want you to think about that person. What kind of emotions do they bring up in you? You see, Esau, his brother, uh, Esau was Jacob's rival. Jacob's brother Esau was his rival, right from the very beginning. And Esau won the first battle. He, they battled for position, and Esau managed to beat Jacob out of the womb. That meant that he got the rights to the family inheritance and a special blessing from his father. But Jacob was, he's not the type to just give up. He didn't just let that go. He was so competitive that he actually came out grasping Esau's ankle. And that's what Jacob's name means in Hebrew. It means to seize by the heel or, or heel catcher. Now that name in Hebrew is actually not a complimentary name. It has the stigma of someone who is a cheat, who is a con man. And for the early part of Jacob's life, he lives up to his name. Jacob is not a good guy. He is not someone to be looked up to. He refuses to accept defeat of his brother and he continues fighting his brother for his position. And if you know the story well, you know that Jacob makes some very selfish, deceitful decisions and he manages to cheat Esau out of his birthright for a cup of soup. Esau was very hungry. And then steals Esau's blessing from his father. He, he deceives his father into getting the blessing. A woman once said to Spurgeon, I don't understand why God should say that he hated Esau. Spurgeon replied, I don't have that problem. My problem is understanding how God loved, Esau, uh, God loved Jacob. Esau is obviously very upset at Jacob. And he vows to kill Jacob once their father dies. And so Jacob is forced to flee his family, leave the land of his inheritance. But does he learn from his previous mistakes? Not really. He finds himself in another power struggle with his uncle Laban. Basically, everywhere that Jacob goes, 
he leaves a trail of bad behavior and messy relationships. And yet all the while, despite Jacob's bad behavior, God remains true to his promise. He continues to draw near to Jacob, to speak to him, to give him dreams and visions, to bless him and make him prosper. So much so that Jacob profits greatly from Laban and Laban's sons start to turn against him and so God again comes to Jacob and tells him to go back to his family, go back to the land of his inheritance. Now Jacob doesn't just go back. In his usual scheming ways, he sends a messenger ahead to try and charm his brother with compliments. But the messenger returns with some bad news. Esau is on his way to meet him with 400 men. Jacob knows that that's not a good sign. Last he knew, Esau had vowed to kill him. And now Esau had a small army marching to him to meet him. He starts to panic and he tries to think of any and every possible way to get him out of this mess. The mess of his life is starting to hit home. And so he cries out to God, but his faith is weak. And he immediately falls back into trying to scheme his way out of his problems by sending large gifts of Esau, uh, to Esau to try and butter him up. Finally, in his fear and anxiety, he sends everything ahead of him, all his wealth, all his possessions, even his family. They go across the river and he remains on the other side, alone and terrified. You get a real clear image of the headspace that Jacob is in. He's in the dark, he's totally alone. That prophecy must have been racing through his head. One will be stronger than the other. And he must have been asking himself, am I strong enough? Am I strong enough? Am I strong enough? So how strong are you? Are you strong enough? That's where we find Jacob. In verse 24 we read, so Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Almost out of nowhere, this man suddenly appears and begins wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob just goes into autopilot. He does what he has always done. He does what he does best. He's still fighting. He's still determined. He wants to prove his strength. And so he wrestles back. Have you ever tried to fight with someone for more than 10 minutes? It's hard work. And Jacob and, his man, and this man wrestled all night. And yet almost the entire event is summed up in a few verses. It was clearly just one long, hard slog. It was absolutely even. Neither man could overpower the other. Neither of them were giving in. And they just wrestled and they wrestled, and they wrestled. We're not really told when Jacob figures out that the man he's fighting is actually God. The author makes it very clear that it was a dark night. And so maybe at first Jacob thought that it was Esau, or maybe it was even Laban. But over time he must have been wondering, 
Who is this man? Who could he be? Why doesn't he stop? Why doesn't he give up? And surely over the course of the night, Jacob must have had started to get a sense of the person that he was fighting. Did he begin to feel his quiet strength, his fearlessness, his faithful determination, his gentleness? Is this how you would expect God to fight? No Hercules strength, no special powers, no lightning bolts, no wooshy finger holds. God in the form of a normal man. And he stays the whole night through, patiently wrestling with Jacob. Verse 25 says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You get the impression that Jacob would have continued fighting to the death. He was so stubborn, he would rather die than be seen as weak. Just as dawn approaches, God finally puts Jacob out of his misery. He finally reveals his strength. With the touch of his finger, he wrenches Jacob's hip out of joint. The shock of the power of this man must have rocked Jacob to the core. Here he was thinking that he was holding his own, thinking that maybe he was strong enough. If he didn't know it before, he must have known the man was God now. And he must have been asking himself, why didn't he just do that at the beginning? Why did he spend all night when he had the power to end it in an instant? And this is a turning point in Jacob's life. Jacob finally sees that God doesn't view strength like Jacob views strength. God doesn't come in a display of, of might. He doesn't come to us to lord it over us. He comes to us in love. He comes to us to reveal his nature to us. He comes to us to have relationship. With all the strength he has left, Jacob clings to God. It's not a fight anymore. He clings to God and he begs him for a blessing. And we see God's nature. We see his grace and mercy because he doesn't leave him there. Not only does he bless him, he gives him a new name, a new identity. He's no longer Jacob, the cheating con man. Verse 28 says, Then the man said, Your name will, be no longer, will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. What does God mean that Jacob overcame? It's pretty clear that he didn't win the wrestling match. And look at verse 33. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And later on, he goes, to say, goes on to say that God came to me in my time of distress. So how did Jacob overcome? 
He overcame by surrendering to God. He overcame by laying down his pride, by finally admitting he couldn't do it in his own strength. In that moment, he saw that all that he considered to be strength in his life was in fact weakness. God came to him and revealed to him what true strength actually was. True strength was love, God's love, pure, perfect love. And in this love, God came down to Jacob and he wrestled all of Jacob's worldly strength from him. And as as Jacob encountered that man, as he stood face to face with love, all his fear, all his striving, all his insecurity disappeared. And we, when we read on, we know that this encounter was not just superficial. His next encounter with his brother shows, shows us a very different Jacob. Genesis 33, 3 says, He went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He approaches his reunion with Esau entirely differently. He might have had a limp, but it doesn't cause him to lag behind. He still didn't know how Esau would react to him, but he goes out ahead of his family. And he doesn't just bow once, he bows seven times. He calls Esau Lord. And later, when Esau declines the gifts that he's offered, he insists that Esau takes them. He's no longer Jacob the cheat. He's Israel, the humble servant. So as the band comes up, I want you to think about how that story speaks to you. Can you identify with Jacob? Do you feel your spirit asking that same question? Am I strong enough? Am I strong enough? There's a much more well-known story in the Bible about a man coming to earth and claiming to be God. His name was Jesus. And Philippians 2, 6 to 11 says this about him. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Do you know what Jesus said about weakness? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It goes on to say, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. So Jesus came down and he healed the sick. And he served, he served us. He fed the hungry. He loved the little ones. He spoke of a different kingdom that was coming. A kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And he said that he would show us the way. But what did we do to him? We laughed at him. And we called him weak. We scoffed at his teachings. And to prove how strong we were, we lied about him. We cheated him. We mocked him. And then we hung him on a cross to die. And all the while, he showed us his quiet strength, his fearlessness his faithful determination and his love. God became man to be killed by his own creation so that he might free us from our sin, free us from our own destruction, free us from our striving to do it in our own strength. Have you encountered this Jesus? Do you know what he did for you so that you don't have to strive anymore? You no longer have to try to fight for your own status, to fight for your position in this world. If you if you have, if you've met him, you'll know that he comes to us in our brokenness, in our weakness. He comes to us in, in our attempts to be strong. When we fight Him back, He wraps up, us up in His loving arms and He wrestles with us. And He tells us to let go because He is strong enough. He is strong enough. Do you know that wrestle? you fight against Christ? When does that wrestle stop? Certainly hasn't stopped for me. I felt like Jacob last night as I prepared this sermon and I sensed my own weakness, my own pride, my own desire to be something that in yourself if you want to be great in God's kingdom you have to be the servant of all Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 8 to 10 but he, but he said to me my grace 
is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A verse I keep coming back to every time I get up here to preach is be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Are you wrestling with Christ? Are you wrestling with God? Know that He has you. He has come to you. And know that that wrestle is not in vain. That He is stripping you of all your flesh, of all your so-called strength. He loves you. He's calling you to be child of God. Let's pray. Father, we just deeply desire to know you. To know you face, to see you face to face. afresh and show us that the wrestle is out of love. All the weakness, all the struggle, all the suffering is to bring us freedom and faith and fearlessness. When we surrender to you, listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.